Welcome to Athletes Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct. And we've created a platform for uh, various groups of people, whether it be college community centers, whether it be athlete community centers, organizations, to find a place where they can network and connect in that affinity relationship. And one thing along the way um, that we found is that uh, with athletes transitioning out of sports, it, it's a major issue today, whether it's mental health or financial literacy, different challenges. And we're trying to, we've created the show to teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. And we're really excited today to have Miriam Glez with us. And she's going to tell us all about later on. She's got uh, doing some amazing things in this space, but uh, her background is she was, um, she's from France. And she grew up there and she was a uh, synchronized swimmer, kind of went up through the ranks of club sports and ultimately became an Olympic Olympian, uh, which is fantastic. And then after that, she was in the business world, kind of taking some uh, different avenues of marketing in the hospitality space. But more importantly, now she's the founder and CEO of Athlete Soul, which, again, we're going to talk more about. So welcome to the show, Miriam. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. It's 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 a great pleasure. So um, I always talk about um, when people started. So growing up, being involved in sports, um, tell talk a little bit about that and, and how it kind of shaped your life. Yeah, so I started very early on, uh, five or six years old and straight as a synchronized swimmer. And very quickly, I actually uh, went into training every day and at, a, at an intense level pretty quickly. So sport early on shaped everything I did because it, it just was so overwhelming my, my daily schedule um, that everything was organized around sport. And it taught me a lot of things um, when it comes to time management and, but also friendship and commitment and hard work. Um, everything revolved around what I was doing for my sport. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I got to imagine I mean, that you talk about, you know, for, for you, because anytime I talk to swimmers, I've talked to a few other ones and then even like, seems like ice skaters too, like having to get in, you know, like for you in the pool, like really early in the morning and all the practices. I mean, it's got to be draining, especially when you're going to school too, I would imagine. Yeah. So growing up in France, we're not early morning people. So there actually are no early morning practices. There was no early morning practices for me growing up. Oh, that's great. <laughs> definitely like three, four hours, at least after school every day, um, every, you know, four, five, six days a week, starting when I was um, eight or nine years old. Um, so quickly, you know, it, it kind of overwhelms your schedule and um, you have to plan things around. You have to be able to do your homework in the car. You have to be able to like eat uh, at any time of the day and fit things around what's happening um, training. Yeah, that, that's got to be, it's difficult. And I mean, it's, um, yeah, I talked to you probably like even from a social life standpoint, it's hard because, you know, you want to be, you know, be nice to be able, and, and I, we have talked a little bit about, you know, how I run cross country and track in high school and college, but it's, you don't get to spend as much time probably as friends because you got to be so dedicated to your, your sport and your body. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what I try to tell people is that I, I never saw it as a sacrifice because my friendships were in my team at the pool. Um, so I didn't feel like I was losing, missing out on social life because I felt like I had a great social life. I had tons of friends at the pool. Um, I knew tons of athletes, not necessarily just in my sport, but I knew, you know, swimmers and divers and um, 
and we spent a lot of time together and we had respect for each other because of what we were all trying to achieve. Um, so I think from a social perspective, I never thought I missed out. I just had a different type of social life. Uh, well, it's, uh, you're right. I, I think about it too. My social life was was wrapped around my team and my friends from that. So that that's that's definite. Um, talk a little bit about um, synchronized swimming. Just tell uh, tell everybody about uh, how that works. And you know, for the novices that uh, like myself that probably don't watch it as much on the Olympics, like we might see it. But talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So synchronized swimming um, would be like gymnastic in the water. Okay. I think often that's how it's sort of been defined, like like uh, ballet in the water. Um, it's been around for quite a while. It's a very popular sport in other countries, especially in Europe and Asia. So there were a lot of synchronized swimmer where, where I grew up. Um, I saw it on TV and that's how I got inspired to start in the sport. Um, it's a very demanding sport in terms of the number of hours that you train because we we do essentially a lot of different sports. So you have to be a good gymnast, you have to be flexible, you have to do strength training outside of the pool, uh, ballet, but then you also do a lot of swimming and then your sport. So which, you know, during the week, you would be doing a little bit of everything um, and you have to like try to figure out how to fit that in um, each day. So it's a, it's a very um, comprehensive sport and, and very, um, brainy as well i would call it because you have to remember routines and there's a lot of elements um that are related to like your, your mental game um in addition to being very physical is it all is it individualized or team like as far as like in the water yeah so you have multiple events so you can okay. do it individualized individual is the solo you can do it as a pair um, and then you can do it as a team. So that's eight athletes. And generally, um, as a kid growing up, you do all of the events. Um, essentially, you know, you develop like different skills through all of that. And then as you get to the highest level, uh, the top two usually do the pair and then the rest do the team. Um, in the Olympics, there's only two events, the pair and the team. So I swam um, the duet, the pair and the, the team. Got you. And did, did, where I forget, did you you won a gold medal or or? I did not win a gold medal. I would have loved to. Um, we'll we'll give you the gold result, medal. <laughs> exactly. My best result was actually fourth okay. uh, in the Olympics in Sydney, uh, which I get a lot of questions on, like, oh, you missed out on the bronze medal, but we were actually super happy. This was a step up for us um, going into fourth place compared to previous. Uh, results so we were really happy with the performance and uh, never felt that I missed out on any medal <laughs> Who, who's who's typically the best country in uh in synchronized swimming um in the last 15 to 20 years uh, Russia has been dominating the sport um and then the Asians are very good as well China uh Japan um and then when I was competing it was very much in Europe was very much uh, Russia France and then the American and Canada. So it's changed a little bit over the last few years. Um, but yeah, that's the ranking. And, and I got, and even like, you know, like with the medals, I mean, it, it, people need to realize that, like you said, I mean, coming in fourth place is, is like astronomical. I mean, compared to, it's almost like, I think when people look at sports too, like baseball, for example, you know, some of these major league players that, as a fan perspective, they're not doing very well. They're low batting average, whatever it might be. You're like, oh, well, they're not very good, but like they're elite. And the same thing with you. I mean, it's especially when you think about how many other 
teams you're competing against different countries to, to get those, those three spots has to be, you know, the, it, you know, slim odds. I mean, you really got to be phenomenal to, to win a medal. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, when you dedicating so much time into an activity, I think you not just looking at that, like, especially in synchronized swimming where it's a judge sport and part of the judgment is linked to, you know, whether the judge like your style or your music and it's related to the culture. So there is a lot of things that you cannot control. Uh, but I think you find success and achievement also in the pleasure of like having um, swum a good routine or being able to perform it to the, the level that you want, that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's important to look at all of these aspects and not necessarily like the result at the very end. Yeah, and I mean, I got to imagine too being being in a pool probably makes it that much more challenging when you're trying to synchronize with, with the, you know, with your teammate, if it's one or just the team, you know, as compared to, you know, I, I mean, even dancing, I guess is what I think of like, you know, think of like, you know, like in the U S like the Rockettes or anything, you know, just to get these plays that, you know, how you have to be synchronized like that too. Absolutely. Like, it, you know, you have to be in sync with seven other people and uh, that takes years. And so sometimes just achieving that, uh, and making sure that you know you wake up, your weakest of the eight is at their best performance could also be the goal that you want to achieve. Um, so you know, looking at at all the different angles of what you're doing and not just the the actual result for me was really important. L looking at it was something that we we talk about a lot on the shows, um, you know, whether it's um, you know, high school, college, professional, like once you're transitioning out, it's for sport, a lot of, it seems like there's um, a need for more education. And and so talk about how they, on your end, did, was there, you know, efforts to, um, if not then now, more efforts to kind of work with the athletes and, and, you know, to help them to see the bigger picture once they're done. And then, so look at it from your own perspective. And then also from what you see and what you're doing today, um, you know, ways it, what, what, whether it's colleges or organizations, what they're doing and maybe how they could do it better. Yeah. So growing up and doing sport in France, I think was slightly different in the sense that you have to pursue a dual career. You have to continue your academics and your sport in parallel. And uh, if you don't do that, you actually don't access your scholarship. So um, that was kind of forced upon you. Um, but in addition to that, I was also um, pretty good at school. And so I always wanted to follow that path and had pretty um, highest level and, and standards for myself in, in school. And so I think that was always good for me to have like a backup plan. <clears throat> Sorry. And, um, and to know that my sport was not a professional sport, that I couldn't make a living from it. So I needed to have that backup plan. It was necessary. Um, having said that, I think that they are way more awareness these days of for the athletes to develop multiple options for themselves and not rely on one thing. I think um, they are, you know, you can see more conversation around uh, I'm this and this and this. Right. And I want to do multiple things. And yeah, this is my plan A, but I may have plan B and C. Um, so I think athletes are looking at their career from a more holistic perspective, they're looking at their options, they're looking at creative ways to get to where they wanna go. And I think NIL is also helping them 
you know, have little jobs on the side as well. So all of these things are, are helping, I think, be better prepared for a, a career after sport. Yeah, which, which is great. And I think it's, I mean, I think every school is different. I mean, you know, some of what we're trying to do at Alumni Direct is looking to go into schools and, you know, with a group of resources, uh, folks like yourself and, and, you know, whether it be athlete transition coaches or you know, mental health or financial, but sitting down and rolling up the sleeves and working together with them to, you know, everybody says they have their own thing, but like, how do we get more help to athletes? And so that, you know, as they do transition out of sport, that sports, that there's more resources. And, and to your point, it's more of a holistic approach. And I think, so what we're trying to do some of that um, and a lot of the conversations that I've had uh, with other companies are, you know, talking about the same thing. So um, with NIL, uh, you touched it briefly. So this is a hot topic. And um, I guess, g- give me your thoughts on the positive and the negative of NIL right now. All right. I think the, uh, the positives is that athletes can make some money, whether it it is being a a top football player in the college space, and you can actually take advantage of that and really get some some sponsors to support you. To you know the niche sport and kind of lower profile athletes who actually can work other jobs uh, like any other student and actually not lose their scholarship because they're doing and taking. Um, also jobs like coaching or um, modeling or whatever that is. So I feel like there it's bringing some equality between athletes and students because students are already doing all the jobs. Um, and then it's helping the top athletes, you know, benefit from the college market and right. uh, just have the, the university being the one reaping off all the, uh, the benefits. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. How about, and I've heard both, um, I got some background noise there. I've heard both, um, you know, like on the negative side, and, and this is something I think, you know, I always say it, it's, um, it could be for anybody, but uh, it seems like people talk about financial literacy, especially at a young age. And so all of a sudden you've got this, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a windfall of money, you know, you know, knowing that you need to pay tax and different things like that. And so I think there needs to be more education. Like I've talked to some former NFL players and that was their reaction was like, Hey, I, I would have loved it when I was, you know, cause it wasn't around when they were playing, but they would have loved it if, if it was there, but that was their concern. Um, I mean, do you see avenues of that? And maybe that's even some of the things that you're addressing, you know, with athlete soul. Yeah. I think some of the negatives are also due to the fact that it's all very new and still, very uncharted right so um it it has impacted the transfer portal a lot it has impacted how scouting is done how coaches interact with athletes how schools are funding the different athletes um it definitely impacts the athletes and and um you know some of them are staying away from it because they don't understand a lot of it um i think Generally, there needs to be a lot more education um, yeah. on the financial literacy aspect, but on how to select, you know, agent, how to work with financial planners, how to select the right people to work with when you're suddenly exposed to a lot of money, um, and how to stay involved in it, how to plan for the future. There's a lot of education, I think, at, at every legal level, and even on like the legal side, like contract and how to read contract and sign contract. I mean. There's so many different aspects. Um, I mean, I I think it's it will be difficult for athletes who have this additional level of 
uh, stress and things to deal with when you already have a full-on schedule. Um, yeah. But when things settled, I think it's going to be for the better. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a frenzy right now. Yeah, no, I guess so. they say sometimes they call it the wild, wild west. So one of the things that we're passionate about and uh, with alumni directing our platform is just the, the whole interaction between alumni and even alumni and whether it be current students as well. Um, just having that affinity relationship. So uh, from your perspective and, and kind of take it in your own world and then maybe also just what you're seeing around you, um, was there much um, alumni interaction, let's say, for example, with France, like as far as the athletes go, were there athletes, you know, former athletes coming back and kind of interacting and, and trying to help the the current athletes? Um, it's hard for me to tell when it comes to friends because I haven't lived in France for 15 years or more. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of far removed from it. Um, I don't have a lot of relationship with former teammates of mine that are still based in France. Um, having said that, what I observe is uh, there is more and more need for it and will to connect and interact uh, simply because we have the tools to do that now. And right. so I think there's more and more engagement. Um, I've, I've, I've started engaging more with my school, uh, with former teammates, with different sport. Um, and it's really be, I think it's been more recent in the last several years. And I think COVID has brought that on too. Yeah, um, yeah we're all far away, but yet we can use this as a way to... Uh, to reconnect with a lot of different organizations. So I think it's changing and it has changed because of the tools we now have. And, and that's great. So a lot of times here in the US, we talk about, um, you know, typically with schools, a lot of times people get a little concerned about, you know, fundraising, uh, you know, er, you know, the efforts of donations and people calling on that, but there's so much value for me. I, I know that uh, I'm in South Florida. So when I meet a fellow Delaware alumni, in my first inclination is like, how can I help you? Know, it's just a, you know, because you don't know how that person is, but you have that step up. So same thing for an athlete. Like I think if you, whether you're a former, you know, football player, basketball player, swimmer, it, you still have that affinity. Like, Hey, you know, you all worked hard to get, you know, you worked hard to get where you're at and, and you're structured and schedules and things like that. So there's that common bond um, that that's there. And I think it's important to utilize it. I, a lot of people don't know how to do it. I was talking to one professional agent and he said the best time for athletes to network and connect is when they're actually playing their sport. And for the most part, they don't because either they're afraid to, they don't know how to, or they're just so consumed in what they're doing. And uh, I think it's important. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, that's some of the things we're trying to achieve here is just to, to facilitate that, that alumni relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to, uh, insist on what you said that there that common bond I think is really strong between athletes of any any sport I think um, current athletes and former athletes really relate to each other uh, there is this uh, sort of understood feeling that you've committed yourself to something difficult to working hard every day to do that at a time in your life where others are maybe partying and doing other things. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think there's that respect that come with it. So that bond, I think, is really strong. Um, and I think we see a lot more networking, not just for 
professional purposes, but also for like social support and sort of getting ideas from others, creativity, um, you know, developing relationship with, that you would have not done otherwise. Um, we use that a lot with athletes also. We, we do like virtual and in-person networkings, networking events, discussion, social events. Um, and we see the bond between athletes of it's, it's instant, like when you can talk about, you know, old practices and stress of yeah. competition and different things like that, you know. No, that, that's great. And it's important. I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's, you have something to relate to. So take us through now. Um, and, and again, this you'll talk more about as far as athlete soul goes, but just athletes transition as for talk a little about your transition um, out of swimming into, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning to the business world, and then ultimately to founding kind of take us through that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I retired in 2002, um, kind of not by, by choice. Uh, I was asked by my, my coaches to choose between my academics and my sport. Um, that was a couple of years before going to the Athens Olympics. And um, they basically told me, you have to choose between going to business school or, go, or preparing for the Olympics. So being in a sport that doesn't pay and does not have a professional career outlook, I decided that you know business school was the uh, the better choice. And um, so yeah, I uh, kind of stopped and thought that was the end. And I attended school. I found a job. I moved to Australia with the company I was working with, and ended up um, resuming my career in synchronized swimming, but for the Australian team. Uh, while I was working. So I actually came back and retired again in 2008 after the Beijing Olympics. Oh, okay. That's good. Were you, so how many, were you in two Olympics then? I was in two Olympics. The first one for France and the second one for Australia. Okay. Had the, had, which one was the better experience? I guess I won't put you to say that. So. <laughs> you, oh, I could have been, this was the better one, France, but uh, we don't want to get either team upset there. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, there were, were different experiences and was valuable. Um, I think it's incredible to be able to compete for another country and experience like a different mindset. Um, so I see them with like completely different eyes. And the first one, you know, was my first Olympics, and it sort of like that first impression is really strong. While the second one was like trying to take it all in from a different perspective, which was good as well. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So it was. Um, so once you once you kind of were done with with the swimming after the second Olympics, was it a hard transition for you just being kind of done with the sport and I maybe not done like you did on the side maybe, but just being done with it and then you know, doing other things? So my second transition was actually uh, the easiest one because I had already retired. I thought I would never swim again, so I took that second experience as like uh, the cherry on top. You know, I was I took advantage of it. I had a job already. Um, yeah, so I was saying like my second transition was much better, much easier. I had a full-time job. Um, I was married, had like more of a stable life. So I had something to like fall back onto compared to the first one. Um, and because I had chosen to retire, um, unlike the first time, and um, I took that second experience as like the cherry on top. So like it was a completely different way of approaching it and it was much easier and um it kind of like run really smoothly to be honest so so what kind of uh what kind of advice would you give to um 
athletes, you know, regardless of the sport, once they're, uh, you know, once that time is up. I think uh, the first advice for me is like, don't wait. You know, you need to consider all of your options when you're playing um, and have plan A, B, C, D, Z. Uh, so that you know you know in the ideal scenario this is what I want to do but if that doesn't work how how what else do I do and how do I get there from a different way I think um, making sure that you're really creative when you think about it there's multiple ways to get to where you want to be um, and then start looking at what what else are you passionate about outside of your specific sport um and and dive and explore those interests because you can build onto the on those to help your transition um and it's it's much better to build on something that you have a passion for than to try to like figure out yeah. what you want to do yeah. when it's over so you know prepare before it happens <laughs> yeah no that that's great because uh, you're right probably a lot of people don't do that unfortunately and that's where they start going and, and i know um that kind of leads up to uh athlete soul and i always say in the beginning it kind of give that thirty thousand foot view of what you're doing but um you're doing a lot of exciting things and um tell us more about athlete soul and you know some of these initiatives and they might even tie into some of the things we've been talking about here today yeah absolutely so athlete soul is a nonprofit organization that i founded three years ago with a group of former athletes and our mission is to support retiring athlete um during that transition away from sport but also to prepare current competing athletes for what comes next so we offer services to competing athlete to retiring athlete and to retired athlete and our services are mostly around uh, coaching group coaching uh, individual coaching during the transition so transition coaching and career coaching uh, and a lot centered around uh, networking for social and professional purposes. Um, so these are like sort of the three area that we're focused on. And so is it, um, do you actively go out there? Like how do, how do people find out more about it? Like athletes find out more about it? Yeah, so we actually receive a lot of direct requests um, for athletes who either find us from Google or search on career services or transition services, but also referral from other athletes who have gone through our program, as well as from different sporting organization, from our coaches. So we work with 20 coaches from different sports and they bring a lot of leads from their own network of athletes that they work with. Um, you know, we're starting to work with in the world of tennis. So that brings a lot of leads. So. We don't do specifically like outreach to the athletes themselves, but we do outreach to those who work with athletes. Okay. Um, and then we get a lot of refer referral from those who've been in the programs too. Got it. No, that, that, that makes sense. Um, it, what was, so it, it, you said it's like, you know, career services and uh, mental health and things. What, what is there um, one area that, that you kind of excel at, um, you know, within that, or is it just kind of spread out? I think what we are really good at um, is providing that holistic support uh, within like a one-on-one -on -one framework. So basically when an athlete works with us, the majority of the time they work one-on-one -on -one with a coach for an extended period of time, three months or more. And what we do is really adjust the work that we do with them to their main priority. So if someone is struggling with 
nutrition or um, mental health, so there's the structure of their day, we will start addressing these challenges first. So it's really customized to where they are and what they need. Uh, and I think that's the best way to answer the retirement from sport because each individual has such a different story, yeah. uh, with such a different background. We serve athletes from all sports, um, all level from collegiate to Olympic athlete. And so each individual with, will come with a different situation. You know, maybe they, they are a sailor or a fencer and they've just finished college or they got injured or they're a pro, but they were not resigned to a contract. So you can't really apply the same solution right. uh, to each of these athletes. Um, so I think that's what we're good at is like really taking them where they at and putting a plan together that fits where they at and help them move forward from there. Did, do you see it going down to, um, it's been a lot of different talk, but, but going down to the high school level as well, or is it pretty much something that you see mostly like college and beyond? So I think the specifically the one-on-one -on -one transition services is for college and beyond. Uh, but we also do uh, have programs for competing athletes. Currently, we service mostly the college athletes. And that program is really to help athletes learn about themselves, uh, explore interests that they have outside of sport, and take steps to be better prepared. And I see this eventually will will probably you know be available to high school athlete as well because the earlier you can prepare and the, the earlier you have multiple paths and multiple options for yourself the better it will be so at the at the moment we do not but i think it will in the future yeah and that's great i mean i because i've seen it like um it's interesting i've had some conversations like one one was with a teacher high school teacher uh who's real involved in like, you know, sponsoring and athletes and stuff at professional level too. But he teaches an entrepreneurial class and just talking about just kind of teaching them about, you know, now at, at that high school level, there's another company that works with them helping to prepare um, the high school athlete to what's the best school for them. And, and you've hit on a couple of times, which I think is great. Like that holistic approach is that it shouldn't just be about, okay, well, I want to play football at Ohio state or Georgia, like one of the big schools, but what else do you want to do? So like if they kind of have that mindset going in that, you know, maybe I can go to this other school, but I get more of what I want to do for the future, my education, my social experience, everything else, maybe that's a better fit. Um, and it, it's interesting that that approach, taking that holistic approach. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you, you can have an ideal path and then think about, um, well, what if I'm a walk-on at a different school? Or what do, do what if I look at a, a smaller school or maybe a less prominent program in sport, but maybe that has the majors that I want to do? I think a lot of athletes will choose their school based on the sport, but don't really consider the academics as well or the social life or some of the other things that they can do on the side. So trying to have multiple options. Um, I think alternative paths are more available these days, which give, again, some creativity to be able to fit everything. Um, I think looking at timing as well um, is important. How do you fit you know, your career and your college and you, you have a long-term plan? Um, for me, that makes a lot of sense because as an athlete, I planned everything around like the four-year cycle of the Olympics. 
Um, so I needed to be done with this diploma or degree by this year so that it would not be overlapping with my Olympic year, but then I would start something after the Olympics. So there were times where I took time off and there were times where I went back to school. And so, you know, just being looking at the long term of what is your what are your goals long term and how do you fit everything in in the in between, you know, to be able to reach all of your goals. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, tell people, um, you know, how to find you, like where to find you, like your the site and, you know, some of your, your uh, different social media handles. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to learn about Athlete Soul, people can do on, can go on the website. So athletesoul.org is our website. Uh, we have all of our services described on the website and people can apply for any of it on the website. And one thing I didn't mention before also is that everything we offer to athlete is free. So as a nonprofit, we raise funds that are then used to be scholarship for the athletes that work through our program. Um, so I think that's a huge advantage for us uh, to athletes and, um, you know, at a time where they may not be uh, having a job or don't have the resources, we try to offer something that will give them a little boost. Um, uh, and then, you know, social handle for Athlete Soul is at Athlete Soul. Um, everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, and, and LinkedIn. So we're pretty easy to find. And um, if anybody has questions or want to reach out to me directly, it would be info at athletesoul.org. Okay, that's great. And I highly recommend people going out, checking it out. Uh, to find us, uh, you can go to alumnidirect.com. Uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And then also follow the show, Athletes Entrepreneurs and Alumni Journey on YouTube and also wherever you get your podcast, but this was great, Miriam. I really appreciate all the time and I, um, I'm excited and, and, you know, we'll talk more, definitely see opportunities, uh, working together, helping athletes in this, um, you know, in this transition out of sports is, is pretty critical. So, uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate that you gave me the time to, uh, share about my story and what I do with athletes. So, and I hope we, uh, get to do a lot together. There's a lot of overlaps between our, our efforts. Absolutely.